Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. SaaS, consulting, courses, e-commerce. If you ask any of the top marketers in these industries, they'll all give you the same advice. Grow your email list. And sure, you could run ads to a lead magnet or offer a discount for joining the list or any other standard strategy. But I'll tell you what's working surprisingly well right now. Setting up a referral program for your newsletter. I know of people who are spending weeks and thousands and thousands of dollars coding their own homegrown system just to have a newsletter referral program. But listen, Sparkloop is a referral tool specifically built for newsletters that allows you to get set up in just minutes, and you can try it out for free for an entire month. Check them out at sparkloop.app EIM. One more time, that's sparkloop.app EIM. On the show today is Dan Murphy. Dan is the Director of Marketing at Privy, one of the leading Shopify apps, and previously he was the Director of Product Marketing at Drift, the conversational marketing app. And I wanted to bring him on because Dan is a student of product marketing, a discipline of marketing that isn't talked about enough. And he's fantastic at product launches, positioning, education, and driving product adoption. You'll hear about the keys to successful product launches and how to keep them up without overhyping yourself, what he's learned running marketing for a local politician, and why writing a book was one of the first things on the to-do list when he started at Privy. All right. Dan, to start out, did you ever imagine that you'd be doing marketing for a living and slinging product marketing <laughs> tweets and hot takes all day? Uh, no, I did not. I don't know if you've been keeping up with my, my LinkedIn posts recently. Maybe you have. But uh, no, I, I actually wrote about this recently. I, I, I don't think anyone grows up thinking, wow, I want to be a marketer one day, right? Like I had all the, all the classic childhood fascinations of being a fireman, an astronaut, and course a, a NHL player and, and clearly that didn't work out but um, no my, my actually my first love was video and so my dad's a journalist he writes for the Boston Globe my grandfather was a journalist also wrote for the Boston Globe and so my first fascination was video is kind of like the new age storytelling you know um, communication mechanism and I was just fascinated with it I loved film I loved directing I wrote scripts like I, I think I still have like a cabinet somewhere in my apartment of like old scripts I wrote when I was like 16 or 17 years old mm. and so I really liked storytelling and then I went to school and it was kind of like I gotta get serious about something and and video was it was fun I did some stuff there and then I actually got into TV production and uh, I ended up doing like a sports show and we did this like weekly show and we me and a couple of my friends on campus and it was all just about um, uh, you know, campus sports and there's some, you know, you know, national sports coverage and stuff like that, but like nothing very serious. And we just had a lot of fun doing it. But like the, the story basically I was telling was like, we started it and like no one was watching just like anything. Right. And like we had to figure out a way of getting, even on our small campus with 2,800 people, like we're like, we just assumed everyone's going to tune in. Oh, we're doing a sports show. Everyone's going to want to watch it. Right. And that was sort of my first like experience with like, no, you have to do marketing, right. You have to get out there and like, convince people it's worth watching and and capture and let them know that it it's you know what it is and, and and why they should check it out and so that was my first kind of experience with marketing and it kind of had this like 
it just kind of got this hook to it of like, wow, this is cool. Like I can go do these things and get people's attention. I can watch viewership grow, you know, like watching a graph grow, watching something take off is the one of the most satisfying feelings ever, right? I mean, you, you of course know this. And so um, just kind of got hooked on it and then just it turned into an internship, which turned into another job, which in turn to another job. And and about eight years later, here I am. And and so, yeah, that's that's what I do now. I like how you summed it up, tweeting hot takes on product <laughs> marketing. That's that's basically that's basically my social presence right now. Well, there's there's the you know, the meme going around on Twitter where it's like, you know, summarize your job and what you do in like the least impressive way ever. And so uh, usually marketers have something to do with tweeting or sharing on social media or, you know, pressing the send button on an email or something like that. So I figured that that would be a nice way to sort of intro in here. But <laughs> Um, I want to get back to you. I just want to go down that rabbit hole a little bit of producing the TV show. And I know that there's also like a documentary film that you produce as well. Yeah. So the, the TV show led to, well, I should say good marketing around the TV show led to some, um, some attention. And then I forgot exactly how it happened, but my sort of like core business partner, if you will, we, we started doing, um, <laughs> we set up our own little company called Sports Talk Productions, and we started doing sports reels for high school athletes mm. to, to make some money to finance this documentary that we wanted to make about our college football team. And um, my business part of the time was on the football team, so I think he had some, you know, he obviously wanted, he thought it was kind of cool to go behind the scenes, but we basically did our own little hard knocks. You know, if you've ever seen Hard Knocks, the HBO series, they go behind the scenes every every season with an NFL team and summer camp, that's basically what we did, and, and we ended up getting all this permission to get access to the team and, and film behind, you know, film at the games, but also the, the meetings before the games and practices and summer camp, and, and we would run the hills with them and do all these kind of things, and um, it was just really uh, fun experience to see, you know, that's, I didn't play collegiate sports, so it was kind of cool to go behind the scenes and see something and study it. But yeah, that was kind of one of our, one of our big things. And we had this huge premiere at the big campus center and, you know, we had about everyone, in the football team showed up and that was probably about it. Like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, how many other people actually showed up for it, but you know, we'd had that. And, and again, that was all, all of that was like, I loved the medium of video, but I also really loved like doing the marketing behind all that stuff. And it's kind of where kind of my, my, the inner fire of like doing that stuff kind of got, got started at that that juncture in my life. Yeah. What were the specific things that you did to market the TV show and the, uh, or the talk show and the documentary? And like you mentioned sort of some hand to hand combat, sort of get in the trenches, like just going around the campus. Like, could you mention just a few of the things you did to actually see the listenership and the viewership grow? Yeah. Well, the, the most like the, to use a, a common startup, term the low-hanging fruit was <laughs> get the people that actually played sports that the, the people we were covering to get them to watch mm. it and to do that we had them on the show we interviewed them we knew which athletes on the teams were captains or really popular or whatever and we asked them to come on the show and it's a good eco trap right like oh come into our tv show and, and we had a full production studio which was awesome so it really felt like the full mm. thing you know you got mic'd up we had all the lights and made the teleprompters everything and so the first thing was just getting the right people on the show because then they would go watch it when it premiered and then they would tell their friends and their friends would watch it and they'd be tweeting about it and posting it. This is this is a little bit of Twitter at this age, but it was mostly Facebook, right? This mm. is this is a while, this is 10, 10 years ago. Um, and so they would, you know, they would share. And that was like the first cook was just getting the right people to kind of pay attention. We knew sort of our target audience there of, of the athletes on campus. Um, and then we built a digital presence. So we started, started having people talk about stuff. Facebook was a big thing at the time. We had a big Facebook page. We'd share a lot of our videos. We'd do clips. 
Um, we did some commercials, like we would do, we ripped off the ESPN, uh, this is Sports Center commercials, you know, we'd have our mascot come on, you know, be our host basically getting a cup of coffee and the mascot would come in and, and you know, spill the coffee and it would kind of be like, you know, bad dog and you'd hit him over the head, and, you know, <laughs> just, just funny things like that. And to, to rip off of, 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 I guess it's like the earliest memes in a way. I mean, there were memes at the time, but like, you know, ripping off of a, a TV commercial from ESPN. We did stuff like that, and that, that had some, you know, viral nature to it. And then, like, the TV show kind of built us up to the documentary, and then we knew we wanted to do something deeper and go, you know, do, like, a full, you know, I think it was, like, an hour and a half long documentary and interviews and um, and just a whole bunch of different stuff. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of, like, guerrilla marketing. It was, it was, you know, we had flyers certainly around campus and stuff like that, and then we started building out digital presence on Facebook. I think we had a blog, and we were trying to do, you know, share content outside of just the TV show, which was weekly just trying a whole bunch of different stuff. And, and that really was my first time ever setting up a blog or buying a URL on GoDaddy or any of that stuff, setting up, I think it was Weebly. I don't know if yeah. you ever used Weebly, yeah. but that was back in the day, way back, throwback. That was my that was my um, my thing back in the day, setting up a, a site on Weebly. Mm. And I assume that now sort of, it seems like there, there was that's where you built up a lot of the kind of early chops, like you said, of just kind of breaking ground on setting up a website, uh, figuring out how to do guerrilla marketing, um, buying a URL, like trying to figure out, okay, what metrics do we track? How do we do this? Is there anything in particular that really stands out of like, I really brought this one thing from that experience to what I do today? And that influences sort of, you know, uh, how I do my job, the way I think about marketing, um, things like that. Yeah, I think, I think it was, I think for the first time seeing, like we were able to track viewership on the channel. So we actually had a campus channel, any TV that was connected, which was every dorm could turn it on. So you could see tracking there. But then we also had a Facebook page and we also had a blog and we had tracking on the blog. I think it was the thing that I've, I've, that I fell in love with was just like doing, doing activities and then getting the output of like growing the audience, right? And so the most basic sense of marketing is you go out there, you have a plan, you go execute on that plan, you go try these activities to drive some sort of outcome. And then when you start getting that outcome to happen, when you hit your goal, it's super exciting and it's addicting. It really is, you know? And, and so, you know, we, I'm definitely still chasing that feeling today. I mean, it's, it's, it's different. It's not just, you know, a blog and slide traffic. I wish it was because that's a lot you know, more fun and a lot easier. But, you know, it's a lot more complicated now than, than it was back then. But it comes in different, in different um, you know, formats. But it's, it's always fun to be able to chase after that. And I think that's something that I just, I'll, I think I'll always enjoy about, about marketing. Mm, yeah. The reason why I ask is because, you know, it seems like there's a lot of, uh, especially for a sports talk show, for a feature, you know, documentary, um, that you have to build a lot of momentum, sort of build up some hype. You have to set expectations and really get people excited about it, right? And you have been, I mean, mm -hmm. you and Dave and all the other team members at Drift and now at Privy have been, I, I would say, pretty exceptional about building up hype, around building excitement around something, getting people involved and kind of invested in whatever it is that you're working on. Some people would say that you don't want to build up too much hype because then you kind of set yourself up to fail and uh, you can't manage the expectations. What do you think about that and about, about building up hype and sort of uh, maybe not building it up too much or can you? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's all about channeling it, right? Like when you have that hype and I think over the course of, of my career, um, I've realized more and more like, it's true if you if you're trying to build up hype every single month like we were launching something every single month at drift 
Um, it worked for a while, but then after a while, it was like, this isn't, I mean, there was multiple reasons why. There was, we were moving upstream. We, we had several different products. It was hard. We had a way bigger audience. It was hard to get everyone's attention every month. But, you know, when you, when you build up, um, when you, when you get to a, a point of basically doing that every month, it can get, it can overwhelm your audience. Right. So I think over the course of my eight years in, in SaaS marketing, I've learned a lot more about when to pick your, you know, what is the thing you really want to hype up? For instance, this year at Privy, we wrote a book and that was like, that was our big, like we knew we wanted to launch that just before Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Um, We're about six weeks out from that. We launched the book two weeks ago and we knew we would want to build up a lot of momentum and hype around this book leading up to it. We spent most of the year, we, um, I joined the team in January. This was one of the big projects I worked on this year. We spent most of the year interviewing and writing and formatting and building all the logistics and doing all that stuff. And so we did a lot of like building a pipe by like documenting some of the journey and sharing some of the behind the scenes, talking about the experts, getting them on, you know, the podcast or other places to, you know, showcase their work and their ability. And that kind of helped build up the hype so that when we had the book, um, like we've, we just, I was just looking at the numbers. We've sold over, um, well, we've shipped over a thousand copies at this point. We've sold about a thousand copies, sent some free ones as well. We've shipped over a thousand. We just launched it two weeks ago, or maybe it's two and a half weeks ago. I don't even know. It's time, time is weird this year, but, um, you know, that's, that's a good example. I think of sort of like the maturing of a, of a marketer and, and realizing like, if you do pick your battles, if you do hype the right stuff, you're going to get the right effect. We know getting this book, it's a real physical book that we, that, you know, we printed and we're sending people. I have a copy of it somewhere on my desk. Um, you know, if we have, that's the right play for us because we're helping to educate these small business owners that really aren't marketers. They want the book that can sit on their desk instead of finding that ebook or looking up a million blogs. They can just, you know, and it has everything that we think they need to, to kind of figure out their, their growth strategy. Um, so we knew that was the right play, and so we put a lot of hype behind that. So yeah, I think I think it, it can be tough. I think also once you've you've been someone that does a lot of, it's also true like you've done a lot of things to hype things up. You're suddenly thought of as someone that can hype anything up, right? <laughs> like, and and so I think anytime you have an announcement, whatever, it's like wait, there's a lot of excitement. Once you've kind of built that pedigree, suddenly anything you do in the future is hype, right? right. So I think that's part of it as yeah, well. Yeah, it sort of carries over a bit. And so you mentioned the book. Um, it, like you said, it hasn't even been a year. As of this recording, we're recording in October 2020. You came on the team in January 2020, um, and you've launched a real physical book, a new podcast, a Facebook group, a merch store. You've collaborated with a lot of the top sort of thinkers and personalities and experts in e-commerce. And I'm sure you would have launched a conference if there wasn't a pandemic as well, as that's uh, part of the <laughs> we would have part of the, yeah. the privy and the the drift playbook. We got, we got as far as touring facilities, and we had the one we wanted. We had everything planned out, and uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out. But you know what? I think that's also a good testament of a good team, which is something I talk about a lot with Privy and, and our team. Is like, if you have a good team, you can make that pivot. You can say, hey, these things have these these factors have changed. We got to find another route, and now we're able to put more behind the book and more effort and more concentration on that. So in the end, it all, it all worked yeah. out. Yeah. I want to get back to the team in a second, but I, you know, I think a lot of people would call your strategies unconventional, you know, possibly. Uh, but I remember actually you you mentioned that you and Dave talked about writing this book, like the first week you started, the first month you started. It was kind of just like right away, like hey, like this is something that we're going to do. Yeah. Why do things like write a book? You know, start a merch store. Um, sort of these unconventional things that most other people don't do. 
Yeah, I mean, so we, we actually wrote a book at Drift. Um, uh, it's called This Won't Scale. Uh, the whole marketing team, we worked on that. I think this that was 2017 we did that. And the book has lived on beyond uh, our time there. Like, I still... I still, there's someone that's posting every other week a chapter or a play. It's, it's called uh, This One Scale, 41 Plays to Help You Grow Your Marketing. And like there's someone that's still posting on LinkedIn every week a different play that they're mm. reading. Like they're actively reading it and posting about it. And there's still emails and tweets and stuff that I get about that book, which is great. The book is is a great play because um, it's, 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 well, it's a great brand play, but it's great because, well, for our audience, it's really great, I think, because our audience cares more in some ways about education than any product that they buy, right? Mm -hmm. Like these are small e-commerce owners that have either started a business this year or in the last couple of years and they're not marketers. Like they don't know the stuff that, that we know from, you know, eight years of studying and doing marketing. And so they need every sort of educational piece they can get um, to, to round out their, their marketing efforts. So, um, yeah, so it's been, um, it was really good for our audience. We also knew, like I said before, it's so easy to get distracted with like you get an ebook or you get like you can't build hype around an ebook anymore. Mm. You just really can't. I mean, I guess you can, but I haven't seen it done effectively in a, in a while. A real physical book that we can ship is is awesome, right? That we can send to someone they can have, they can hold on forever, put in their their car, their nightstand, their desk, wherever it is that they they want to reference it. Um, the other side of the book and why it was so good for for us and why we were so excited about it is that we were able to build our own little e-commerce business within the Privy Marketing team by doing a physical book. If we did an ebook, we could kind of do that, right? But by having a physical book that we got to ship anywhere in the world, we actually got to put ourselves in our customer's shoes and like figure out, okay, what do they do? How do they do this? Um, I'm actually recording a, a couple episodes for um, our podcast next week that's gonna go behind the scenes. Like, how did we do this? Like, how do we pick ShipBob, our fulfillment partner, and how does that work? How did pricing work? You know, how did we do the manufacturing and get it to, the, you know, this and that? How do we build our list and then build up, you know, excitement for the launch? Um, how do we sell a thousand copies of this book in the first, you know, couple of weeks of it being live, right? We're gonna go behind the scenes and, and talk about that stuff. and. And so that was the other part of it too, is like we actually got a ton of behind the scenes. We built our entire store on Shopify. So we built shop.privy.com. It's, it's our merch store um, on the Shopify platform, which is where 90% maybe of our customers build. So like now I'm using the same tool they're using and now I'm also doing training. So like we actually did a training last week with, um, with some of our customers on, on something with Privy and they were asking me some like really deep technical question and Shopify, I'm like, oh, I know that. Let me just log it in my account and just check out how I did that. Hold on one mm -hmm. second. And I was able to go in, oh, discounts, this, this, that. Okay, actually, hey, just change your setting to this and you're all set. Like having that level of understanding of how our customers are um, uh, tackling their problems is is been super helpful already. And I think, you know, over the course of the next couple of months, as we roll out more content, it's going to be even, even more helpful. Yeah. Now, I think I remember you actually mentioning also that when you first started, uh, you started an e-commerce store for something separate. I can't remember what it was, but you wanted to basically put yourself in the shoes of the customer and say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna use Privy to grow you know, my e-commerce store and basically like through the process, learn the product, mm -hmm. kind of get in the mind of your customer. Mm -hmm. um, what, what were you selling and what did you learn through that process? Yeah, so it was actually my, one of my very good friends started a chocolate milk company um, and it's, it's called Slate Milk. And it's basically giving milk a clean slate. Uh, it's high protein, low sugar, lactose free milk. Mm. And so it's kind of like tackling all the main objections today's, you know, buyer, today's adult <laughs> would have with milk, which is, you know, lactose, high sugar, not enough protein. They basically reconfigured it. Um, 
they have been in retail. They're, they're doing well on the retail side, but they basically hadn't done much in e-commerce. They had all the stuff set up. They had the Shopify store. They were selling. They were doing, they had inventory, but um, they just hadn't really made it a priority. Their big priority, strategic priority was retail. So when I joined Privy, I was like, oh man, I should talk to them and just say, hey, can I just set this up? I'll give you Privy for free and let me just like document and share anything I want. And I said, sure, whatever. And so I met with them once, we went through it. I started setting up plays for them. And that's been like, I still use it. I use it in all my product marketing examples. So if you go look at the Privy blog and look at some of the stuff I've written, I wrote a lot of stuff earlier this year. All the examples are, are slate and it just makes it so much easier to tell a story when mm. like, you know the exact company, you know what they're doing, you know their margins, you can talk about all that stuff. Um, and it's it's a cool story because it's chocolate milk, which is not your you know it's not just jewelry or clothing. It's a, kind of an interesting product. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, we they've been doing that. They've actually done uh, I think they've done about seventy five thousand dollars worth of sales influenced by Privy at this point. So the Privy, we can actually when we connect with Shopify, we can see you know how many emails you captured or emails you sent from Privy, all that stuff. You can actually see that you know how it's uh, impacted revenue, and, and they've done about seventy five thousand dollars in in sales. Through Privy, which is great, you know, through the emails they collected, through the, the emails they sent, and so, um, yeah, it's it's actually been it, it was really really helpful to do that, and then taking it to the next level. Like I never messed with their Shopify account with this e-commerce store. That was kind of the next level. Okay, now I've mastered Privy. I know that most of our customers are using Shopify. Okay, now building out this book in Shopify. Now I have a whole new level of understanding of how our customers actually, you know, tackle their problems. And this is also like when you're talking about unconventional stuff, like. Yeah, there's unconventional stuff that we do from like brand plays and everything, but this is sort of the unconventional product marketing side, right? Like going into your customer shoes. Can you actually, not everyone can do this, of course, but like how close can you get with your customer? You know, uh, when I was at Drift, we were, our product marketing team was one of the first to like really start talking about Gong as an amazing product marketing tool for product marketers, like listening to calls. And I got obsessed with it. Like this summer, we've, we have Gong at Privy as well. Like I was doing all my workouts and I was just listening to calls the whole mm. time. I was just listening to call after call after call um, every day in the morning, basically. And then I listened to them when I was driving to golf or doing this. Like, that's that's the unconventional product marketing side. It's like, how close can you get with your customer, understand their pains? Because y you can chase that. I mean, you'll never have a perfect situation. You can chase that and chase that. But there's so many different avenues and ways to explore, you know, getting close enough to your customer to understand. And not just listening to them or, or you know, uh, jumping on a call with them every other week. It's really like, how close can you put yourself in their shoes? Because you're going to be way better off as a product marketer if, if you can do that. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And I think... Um, most people don't do that, right? Which is why it's, it's such an interesting kind of thread to pull on. And I'm wondering, do you have any like specific examples of whether you were um, setting up Privy for Slate uh, Milk or whether you're setting up the Shopify store for the book or listening to the calls through Gong? Like how has that changed what you've done? Or what's like a specific example of like putting an insight like that of, oh, that's interesting about Privy or that's interesting about Shopify or this is an interesting kind of little snippet mm -hmm. of how uh, leads are interacting with our salespeople and what questions they're asking. Do you have any specific examples you could share about what that's actually turned into? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, th there's probably dozens. If I spent the time, I could probably write down dozens of them. There's examples where like we wrote the tagline for um, a couple of the products we launched at Drift, we launched Drift Automation, Drift Video, those taglines were, were taken directly out of mm. Gong, directly out of calls with beta customers that were giving us feedback about it because you can't get much better. Like, it wasn't like they just like, oh, they said, this is a very great tool. Okay, that's the tagline. You know, it was like, they said, oh, this replaces my SDR. But like, boom, that's it. Clone your SDR with this, you know, the Drift Automation. So it was like, 
there was there was examples where that's happened. Um, there's also launches like we did a launch in August, um, Privy Email, and we, and we really positioned it around an alternative to Mailchimp. And so when we did that, like that was because we had spent a lot of time in the in the summer listening to calls, and we realized, well, our big opportunity is people are using Mailchimp. We can get them using Privy Email instead, and we really positioned around the automation side of Privy Email because we knew we actually had an advantage from our competitor. Um, in, in that example. So there, there's been, there's been, I mean, probably, again, I could probably make a list of dozens of examples. Um, those are slightly larger ones, right, where we actually changed the positioning or, or the naming or something of the launch based on what we heard in Gong. Um, I also think it's just um, every time you listen to a call, you think of, you, you, there's, there's like, I, I talk about this too with active learning. Like if you try to write down everything you learn in when you're writing a book or sorry, reading a book or listening to a podcast, like I used to try to do that. You should be like, oh, I gotta write these notes down. Oh my Evernote, this is so smart. And then I just realized like it just morphs your brain over time. If you just listen to it, if you think about the stuff, like I like to listen to a podcast and then just turn it off and just maybe not listen to, not do anything, just mm -hmm. kind of think about it a little bit, right? Like that's actually a smart, I found a smarter way of like making me, you know, uh, not necessarily retain the information, but making me think about it from different angles and get a different point of view. Um, I found that to be helpful. So just every time I listen to a gong call, it's not like I'm always looking for some active thing to do with it. You know, like I've learned this one thing, I got to do this one thing. It's just building up that muscle and, and, and making yourself more aware of, of the struggles and, and what your customer is going yeah, through. Yeah, I forget who uh, who coined it or who maybe mentioned it, but um, someone talks about the idea of sort of idea sex in your brain where if you're sort of letting things marinate for a while and you're combining different sources and you're just letting, mm -hmm. like I said, letting things sit for a while, then your subconscious starts to start to make some connections, find the patterns. And then it's sort of those eureka mm -hmm. moments when you're in the shower or you're, uh, I don't know, like yep. washing the dishes. Always in the shower. Uh, always in the shower. Always in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always, and you know what it is, and I was thinking about that too, it's like, why do we always have my best ideas in the shower after the gym? It's because like, well, I get endorphins going, but then the other part of it is I don't have my phone. I have no distractions. I can just think, right? Like I know yeah. how to, like it's it just boom. Like, you know what I mean? There's no distractions. It's just, you're just, you're completely separated from your phone for five or 10 minutes. That's it, five or 10 minutes. Think about that, how crazy that is. And then you can think, because we're always on these, we're always on these loops of like, okay, now we're watching the TV, now we're in front of the computer, now we're listening to a podcast, now we're listening to music, now we're working out. We're always doing these things. Like so few people just sit and think nowadays. And I, I, I'm bad at it sometimes. I don't go, you know, just spend some time thinking and not doing anything else, not meditating, not doing anything else, just thinking uh, about a problem I want to solve and not looking at a screen or not like, oh, let me Google this thing, you know, I, oh, you know, and just suddenly going onto another medium. Um, I think we're bad at that, our generation, and I wish, I, I think it's something that I try to get better at, because it's just, that's where I have my, my moments of, of genius. Yeah. Well, that's also sort of the, the struggle and this new paradigm with being sort of a knowledge worker, right? Like working on their internet, yeah. uh, slinging tweets for a living and, and hot takes on product marketing. But, but really, like mm -hmm. your job as a marketer is to come up with ideas and to problem solve and to, to write and to, mm -hmm. to formulate sort of these uh, these plans, yeah. right? And so if you're just mm -hmm. trying to think of it as like input and output, I'm gonna sit down for eight hours and I'm just gonna sort of crank away, but you're missing basically all the creativity, right? You need some of those times where you're just in the gym listening to a gong call or you're in the shower and your brain's kind of working things out and then all of a sudden you have a breakthrough of, hey, we should write a book, right? Or you know, something like that where it sort of yep. comes to you instead of you it's forcing it out of 100%. yourself. It's also, it's also if you want to grow your career, you want to get to the next ladder, you want to become a director or a VP or a CMO or whatever it is, 
you've got to be more strategic and that's how you do it you take time to think these things through you take time to figure out okay what is the you know what is the next the next step what is what is our 2021 plan right is you actually take the time just to think because if you're always trying to like add a new skill or do a new project or achieve something else right you're actually not like i don't think that's the fastest way to to grow your career if you want to be a kick-ass individual contributor maybe but if you want to grow your career you want to get into management you want to get into a strategic position take more time to think things through and stop doing as much stuff do less and think more that's kind of a silly way to put it but um you know try to it's not always about doing more stuff it's not always about activity it's about you know taking the time to, to think things through. yeah i think that's a that's a good reminder i want to circle back to um the marketing team and sort of the 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 synergies and the collaborations there, but you're not shy about how you feel about your marketing team. In fact, you said, quote, that we built the best effing marketing team around, and that quote, it's a Moneyball team. Um, so I'm curious if you can elaborate on what makes the marketing team at Privy so great. Yeah, I think I think we are, and, and a couple of us, on the, well, David and I at least have said this, I won't say everyone has said this, but I think it's the best team around. I know the other team members really appreciate the team and like it too. I always say we're the best team pound for pound out there because we're only seven people. Um, I think we have a killer team and I think the way I was talking about with you the other day was like, we didn't, it's like there's, there's different strategies with building a marketing team. Like you can go build based on skill, you can build, you know, based on, you know, when something, you know, breaks and go hire someone that can fix that problem. Um, you can go spend a lot of money, right? Like a lot of companies go spend a lot of money. And, and that's why I, I'd like to, I've started using this Moneyball analogy because I, I watched Moneyball again recently. And it is kind of true like that. It's not like we're all cheap players or we're, yeah. you know, we're the inexpensive players. But it's not that, it's that we, I think we've built the team around like the right chemistry and the right personalities and not worried as much about the skill, right? Like in, in Moneyball, they talk about the, who it was, I forgot his name, but he was the catcher. They put it first base because he can't throw anymore. He doesn't have the, the elbow. He had surgery or something like that. So we can't play catcher anymore. They, they put them at first base. Like, I think that's like, it's, it's not about the skill. It's about the personality and what they can do, right? And so in this case, that's actually kind of backwards from Moneyball because it is kind of about all their, their batting skills and stuff like that. But I would say from our standpoint, it's more about like having the right type of people on the team. And I think we've done that very nicely. It just, it's just, it's, it wasn't necessarily like we designed this whole, you know, we crafted out the exact plan and these are all the roles we needed. It really was based on as we started, you know, expanding the plan and, and then things changed this year and we kind of changed our approach a little bit. We didn't hire as many people as we were planning on doing, but I think we hired a lot of the right people and it's the right personalities. It's like an 80-20 thing where it's like it's 80%, in my opinion, it's 80% personality, 20% skill. Hmm. Um, and I think most marketing teams hire like 80% skill, 20% personality. And I think especially on a small team with seven people, um, it was important to have the right people and seven people that are like, the plan's been changing a lot this year. Things have been up and down. It, 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 like just any, any team has gone through that this year, but like it's been, it's been kind of all over the map with a lot of things going on. And, uh, and, this, and this was a good, um, I, this was a really good team that was versatile and could kind of deal with the changes and, and figure out how to execute on, on the plan. Mm -hmm. How do you hire for that if it's if it's mostly sort of personality and you're sort of money ball, like let's just get the right players and figure out maybe what they'll do and or what they're best at a little bit later? Because I think most of the mm -hmm. sort of traditional, you know, hiring playbook and best practices is very much around, you know, let's look at their experience or let's look at their skills and what they can prove they can do. Um, so that, does that change the way that you're you're evaluating candidates and you're looking at different roles and uh, reaching out to people to join the team? 
Yeah, I, I I think so. I think like it's not like we just hired people and we're like, oh, well, you want to do demand gen? Great, do demand right, gen. Right. Like I, most of the people, you know, had some background. Um, in fact, everybody had some background in the, in the role they were doing now. The team is basically split up in, into two different groups. There's um, demand generation slash revenue ops, and then there's product marketing and brand. And so I lead the product marketing brand team. Um, I've got three people on my team, someone that runs content, someone, a uh, graphic designer, does all our creative and video, and then a product marketer. On the other side is um, our head of demand gen slash revenue ops, and then um, uh, a demand gen person under him. And our sales team actually reports into our revenue ops team. So mm-hmm. the whole sales team reports into to, to marketing through um, our revenue ops slash demand gen person. Um, and so, uh, you know, I would just, yeah, I mean, I think like we have a really strong leader in demand gen, just can see the field really well, has been really helpful for us understanding, digging into the, the numbers and, and understanding how our, our team um, should be executing on, on our plan. Um, and then like, you know, like our, our, the product marketer on my team, Connor, like he actually built a million dollar e-commerce business in college. Um, we've known him for many years, we worked him at a drift. And then when I joined Privy, we were like, oh man, this is perfect. Like as a product marketer, as someone that can do the training, that can like understand this customer very intimately because they were this customer, this is a perfect fit. And so, um, you know, I think there's like, there's definitely the level like, like the base, like underneath everything is like the right skills and like has some experience in these areas like that. But I also think like it was the personalities. And to be totally honest with you, it wasn't like, we didn't do like personality tests and all these things. I think it was just talking to the right people. Um, I think we got a little bit lucky with the right personalities, right? Because there's really no egos. There's, you know, it's it's really a good team of like, all right, how are we going to tackle this problem? Everyone's willing to pitch in and try things from from different, you know, outside of maybe what their, their day-to-day responsibilities are. Um, and I just feel like we've just put together a team of just, just really strong winning personalities that are going to figure out a way of, of getting the job done one way or yeah, another. Yeah, maybe attitude would be sort of another way to describe that sort of thing that you're looking for and uh, that magic characteristic that kind of ties you all together. Um, And what about uh, sort of the the team dynamics and the habits that you put in place as a team to make sure that you're getting the best at each other? Like what are the things that you're doing week to week or with each other that's helping you to Mm -hmm. push the team and make sure that you all are doing your best work? Yeah, we're we're kind of reluctantly now getting into a recurring meeting stage <laughs> where I, I say reluctantly because I think in the past, like several of us have had that and we're like, oh man, these are not productive. But like we are a small team and, and now, and we've kind of shied away from the recurring meeting, you know, trend because it's just, it can be a waste and, and that, that time is valuable, especially when there's only seven people on the team. Um, but it's actually been really good. Now that we're like, wait a minute, this could really work for us of like, you know, we meet, like we just met uh, about an hour ago and, and, and talked as a team for the week. It's Monday. We wanted to go through what are, what's our plan for the week? You know, what campaigns are we running, et cetera. Let's review our metrics. And then we'll probably meet, we meet every Thursday and we kind of just do a recap. How's the week going? What's going on? Um, and then, you know, Dave's trying to meet with everybody one-on-one at least once a month. I meet with everyone on my team once a, once a week. Um, and so I think there's there's good rhythm. It's a lot of Slack communication. Like it doesn't, we don't have to, I, I think we're good at just, you know, sharing a lot of stuff. I, I, I love talking about this too, of just like, I think a good marketing, winning marketing strategy is, is getting the team to share their work as much as possible because that's where feedback comes in um, and, and that's where you tighten up that feedback loop so it's really quickly between someone working on a project and, and getting feedback so that it, you can finish the project. 
but also to give everybody in the team and everybody outside the team visibility into what we're doing so people know, okay, this person's working on this thing. Okay, I'm working on this thing. It relates to that, so I should be communicating about this or, you know, I, I, we're doing a lot of that stuff. The other secret weapon we love, now I'm kind of getting to tools and less tactics. The secret weapon we love is Drift Video. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I worked at Drift, but like having video and being able to just like, you know, jump on the webcam and, and have the mic live and just be like, hey, you know, such and such, what about this, this, and that, right? And just talk it through instead of four minute video or open up a deck and be able to send like a five minute video, like, hey, here's my positioning on this thing. What do you think of that, right? Mm -hmm. Or someone sending that to me or, you know, um, little things like that have actually, and it's async communication, right? It's not a live stream. We don't have to both be present on video at that time. I can send it, you can watch it later. Um, little things like that, I think we've just kind of improvised this since we've gone remote and it's been pretty successful for yeah. us. What about the, the weekly activities for you? Like, what are the things that you're trying to check off the list of like, um, you know, these are the inputs that are helping you do you be your best work as a product marketer, as a marketing leader? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, what I've recently adopted is I do all my one-on-ones Monday morning. My team's only three people, so it's not like it's a lot, but um, that really helps and helps the team get set up for the week. And so we just sit down, what's the plan for the week? What are we doing? You know, we're trying to get into a little bit more of a recurring process ourselves. We're trying to do, you know, I think when you get started and you're building a new team, it's good to have a lot of freedom and, and kind of like play around with things a little bit, like have goals and have projects and have a plan. But I think it's good to like, you know, not be, let, let people kind of get acclimated and figure out what they need to do guide them coach them but then like now as we're like a team and 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 you know uh you know we're going into next year and we're planning we're trying to get to more recurring processes you know so like we're running campaigns and we're doing you know uh more tracking and and we're talking about metrics more often like we're trying to get more into that that mold um so meeting every every week monday morning is really helpful um, so there's that. We, we use a tool called 15.5 where we do a lot of feedback. Um, every week you fill out a 15.5. It's basically a pulse of how you're feeling, um, quick pulse, and then ask some questions, a plan for next week. And so reviewing that like over the weekend and then being able to talk about it on Monday morning and make sure there's a clear plan for the week is, is a really good recipe. Um, so yeah, so I think, and then, you know, as a team, we're, like I said, we're meeting a couple of times a week. We meet as a company at the end of the week. So for me, it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to talk to people. I've, I've actually found in this job, it's really good. And this is another testament to I think the team being really strong of like, I've always been someone that wants to go in and do, and I want to like go in, oh, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to own this thing. I'm going to help with that. Like I'm trying to take a step back myself a little bit more, more consciously and say, all right, team's got this, you know, let me, let me just step in when, when there's an issue here, or let me, you know, um, just kind of back away and let the team operate, delegate basically, and, and not, and not be, you know, in the weeds on everything. That's been conscious, kind of a conscious thing of mine. And then I can also do like some of these special projects, you know, I can do figure out this book thing or figure out the next thing we're going to do, mm -hmm. or, you know, we're going to migrate this thing or we're going to try that thing. What if we own this number next year and then kind of go investigate that kind of stuff and let the team operate. And really that our, our, our team is like, you know, our, our sort of three, um, three people that run our campaigns, um, a product marketer, a demand gen person, our content person, they're really the tip of the spear of marketing. They're the ones kind of leading the charge and everything. And it's myself and Dave and, and Ryan and others kind of behind them. And like, we're there to you know help as much as possible. But I think that's a servant leadership is, is the way they call it. I don't, I haven't really kind of put it that way, but I think it's more of just like, let them run. They're in the weeds. They know the numbers, they know what's going on. And then we're more in a supporting capacity and trying to help steer the ship a little bit. Whereas they're at the front and center operating and executing on everything. Yeah. yeah. 
I want to start digging into product marketing a little bit and uh, product mm-hmm. launches and, and sort of get down that rabbit hole. But uh, I know that you spent probably more time explaining, researching, teaching what product marketing is rather than even doing it. So I won't make you answer you know, what product marketing is. But I am curious, what do you think that most people are getting wrong about product marketing or, or thinking wrong about product marketing? Yeah, well, I think product marketing as a function within marketing sticks out as like a sore thumb because it's like every other team in marketing has a clear output. Like demand gen has a number. Whether leads equals revenue or not, at least they have like a number or maybe their number is pipeline or maybe it's revenue, I don't know, whatever. Um, content, they're producing content, right? Um, creative, they're you know working on the website or graphics or something like that. Like pretty much every other team, every other major function in the marketing has a clear output, whereas like product marketing doesn't always have a clear output. They're really sort of behind the scenes, um, making sure all those things, you know, are, are, are on message and, and making sure that there's consistency and, and just helping support those three, you know, those, those different functions. Um, so um, I think, uh, yeah, so I think the, the misconceptions are, are often like, well, there's no North Star metric, right? Like we went through this at Drift, like what is our metric? What are we trying to drive in product marketing? It's like, well, there's not just one, right? Like we have several different products. We're there to support the underlying growth of those products, revenues, you know, the output, but like it's project-based. Like one, one month you might be working on, you know, a deck for, you know, the sales team to, you know, increase the win rate. The next month you might be launching a new product and you're trying to get, you know, sales meetings for that or, or you're trying to solve, you know, some segment of churn or something, right? So it just, it varies so much with product marketing that there's just often these issues of like, well, what does it actually do? Um, I think like, you know, over the last couple of years, it seems like there's a lot more consensus around, you know, what is product marketing doing? It should be more strategic. It is um, it is a, a function that kind of backs up a lot of other functions and, and is helping make sure that, you know, the product story is, 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 um, is there for, for all the outputs. So I think we've, I think over the last couple of years, it seems like things have gotten better and people seem to be more, um, aligned around what it does, but I know there's still people out there that kind of question, you know, what, what are the, what are the focus? And I guess if I were to say one thing, it'd be like, there's no one North star, like the, don't give your product marketing team one, one metric to chase. I think you, you got to have them invested in different areas. Yeah. You've also said that if you want to become a great product marketer, become a great listener. It's the one skill no one else is telling mm-hmm. you to master, but will make you great. Could you explain and sort of elaborate that a little bit about what listening has to do with product marketing? Yeah, I think um, I've also, I actually also said recently that product marketing's number one job is to be always talking. And I think <laughs> that's, that's maybe, maybe sounds uh, uh, contradictory, but it's, it's, it's not. I think, I think like, Product marketing is a good product marketer is a good, you know, in, investigator, you know, and in digging into something. And so, you know, listening might be, you know, listening to a gong call might be actually listening. Um, but it could be also reading the signs and understanding what's going on in the industry, you know, reading and understanding what's going on with their customers, um, doing training and talking. I do training. I get to get on chat with customers and talk to them about, you know, what's going on. That's that's listening to and understanding. Well, what are what question are they asking about? You know this product. Oh, they're asking about that. Interesting. I didn't. I didn't know that people would be hung up on that or they'd have questions about it. Or, you know, oh, this thing, this feature keeps coming up. We got to talk more about this feature. Or, you know, we have to figure out how it fits into our story. Um, so it is always listening. I think. I think it's like it. I think it's not. Um, it's not listening just for one thing. It's not just listening to Gong. It's not you know just getting on customer calls. I think it's just reading all the signs. And I think 
Um, it's also the internal team, right? Like I, I talk about this in, in my course, um, you know, with positioning, like when you write your first round of positioning, like you're always going to hate it. It's always going to feel like this sucks. This isn't good enough. But like you got to put that aside and go to your, you know, CSMs, your sales reps, whoever's interacting with the customers most often pitch them that just pitch them as if you think it's great and then get the feedback and then go from there, you know? So, um, it's a lot of, you know, just taking in signals about what's going on and figuring out how to turn that into, you know, really good marketing. Yeah. yeah. What about how product marketing interacts with other functions of marketing? You know, I mentioned demand gen, uh, sort of brand is mm -hmm. another part of it, but still a little bit separate. Um, there's, there's other functions of marketing on, on much larger teams as well, but um, how does market, how does product marketing specifically play into the other functions and outputs of marketing as a whole? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a, it's kind of interesting because you can't really, like, creative you can pretty easily categorize as like a service organization. It serves other organizations. It's serving demand gen, it's serving content, it's serving product marketing maybe. Um, product marketing is kind of like, like it, it's part service of, of helping people and making sure things are there, but it's also part like steering the ship and, and, and making sure the right strategies there behind everything. So it's kind of like, I, I guess it's, you know, it's split in two. It's, it's part service. It's part, um, you know, strategic and helping, helping decide where to, where to go. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's, um, you know, in terms of like launches, right? Like a good example, like product marketing usually owns launches. Like really, like if you're going to do a launch, like the first thing you're going to do is sit down and figure out, all right, how is this going to impact our funnel? It's like, what is our demand gen activity here, right? Are we actually trying to help, you know, uh, reduce churn for this product? And that's how we're launching this feature. Are we trying to grow new business? Do we think we're going to expand our TAM with this new thing, right? So I think like that's like the first like that that is always and I teach again I teach this in my course like that's the first thing you always want to do is like figure out what is the actual goal of this launch because without a goal it's not you know it's not a good launch and if you can narrow the focus um, the goal if you can narrow the focus of your launch on one goal one clear goal you're going to have a lot better chances of, of achieving it um, so it's it really is it's it's kind of and this is probably part of I think some of the struggle it's it's split between like a service organization and 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 a strategic organization you got to wear different hats as a product marketer of like okay now I'm actually helping you know oh we're we're updating our app store I got to go through the listing and reread the messaging that's kind of like a service organization whereas like the strategic is like all right we're gonna launch this this is our goal we're gonna reduce churn for this new product by launching this mobile app you know it's it's kind of just it's balancing those those two things yeah. Yeah, well, one of my core kind of theses about marketing and sort of the direction that it's going is that it's uh, be, going to become more and more cross-functional and less and less sort of yeah. siloed and less tip of the spear of like, oh, we're just we're just running ads or we're just you know doing this one thing, creating mm -hmm. content, but more and more uh, informing the sales team, uh, interacting with customer success, working the product team, especially. Uh, I think we're going to see that more and more with the rise of e-commerce and with SaaS, with subscription, with the creator economy. Um, so that, that's an important thing to keep in mind. It's just that it's it's less uh, less and less purely marketing and more and more marketing plus sales, plus product, plus customer success and yeah. all the different kind of uh, threads you have to pull and people you have to get on board within. Um, I'd like to, to dig into product launches and go down as far down that rabbit hole as we can. Um, maybe to start us, like what goes into a product launch behind the scenes in order to have a successful launch day and feel good about what you're doing and see the results that you want to and, and be able to hit that goal like you mentioned? Yeah, so um, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things that go in behind the scenes. 
Um, this is this is why I launched my course this summer because it's one of it's product launches have so much potential and like such a big opportunity, but if you don't have a way a process for running them, uh, you know, and 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 running them with that that launch goal of of you know we're trying to solve some company strategic goal, right? If you, if if you're trying to do that with your launches, if you don't have a process and and, and a way of basically getting there. You're not going to get there. Um, and so, yeah, there's, I mean, the, um, I heard someone recently on a podcast describe, you know, the, the role of product marketing with launches is being like, you're like the CEO of the launch. Like, that's what your job is. It's not just you write the messaging and here your team, go execute on this. Like, no, you got to be in charge, you know, and, and some people will say QB. I, I'm, I don't want to use the QB <laughs> analogy always. I feel like that's so overused, but it's also like that too, right? You have to decide when to run the ball, pass the ball, you know, whatever. So um, yeah, it's there's there's a lot that goes into it. This is like again, this is why I did the course was basically to break down the. I think I have nine yeah I have nine chapters in there, and it's breaking down each step of like okay, you got to start with like all right, why are we doing this? What is our goal with this? Which is usually your short term focus, right? Um, and the short it's purposely short term so that you can go build a plan, a launch plan. And say okay, we're trying to get you know 100 meetings for the sales team in the first 48 hours. That will indicate you know we have, you know we, we have um, you know th- that this launch is successful because we're trying to grow a business for this product line, yada yada yada. Um, and then building a plan around that, working with your internal teams, um, and then spending a lot of time doing internal marketing, getting people excited about the product launch, understanding why it's so important how it's going to make the sales team more money, how it's going to help the CS team save customers, um, and so forth. And then, um, and then execute on that launch. Right. And so there's, there's, there's multiple phases within it. There's a lot of stuff that goes in behind the scenes to, to make it happen. Um, my suggestion, this is again, why I launched my course is just have a framework, have a process for doing it, a proven one. I've, you know, this is something I've spent a lot of time on in my career. I've done 60 something launches now, maybe 60, 70, I don't know, we just launched the book, so that's another one on, on, on the list, but um, I've done a lot of them, and so like having a framework that you can just go to and know exactly the, you know, the plan of, of how to, the process, excuse me, um, is, is something that I've found really, really helpful. Right, yeah, I think most people would think like, okay, well, uh, the launch is listing on product hunt, and then like sending an email and uh, calling a day, right? Mm-hmm. Or if it's an e-commerce, it's maybe, yeah. you know, we're gonna put a thousand bucks behind Facebook ads, or we're gonna sort of boost it, or you know, we're, we're going to send out the email, right? And then again, kind of call it a day mm-hmm. um, and sort of get it out, right? Without really thinking about mm-hmm. what the goals are, how you're doing it. But there's a lot of work that also happens behind the scenes and happens before that. Mm-hmm. You even mentioned, uh, you said that if you're managing a product launch correctly, 50% of your, of your work as the product marketer is internal marketing. And internal marketing is something mm-hmm. that I've never heard anyone else talk about it. Uh, to be honest. So I'm wondering if mm-hmm. you could explain like, what does that actually look like when you're, yeah. you know, when you're gearing up for um, the book launch, when you're gearing up for Privy 2.0, any of the other ones, even at Drift, like what were the the things that you did to build up uh, the hype and the excitement, but also kind of the education within the company? Yeah. So I like to talk about internal marketing as more of an attitude than a list of activities because if you have the attitude of like, it's simple math. If you have 60 people at your, or 67 people at your team, which is what we have at Privy, versus the seven people in the marketing team, and you're spending all of your time just getting the seven people on your marketing team equipped and ready to talk about the launch versus the 67, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice. 
Drift was like 400 people and then 30 people on the marketing team, you know, you get what I'm saying. Especially when you have, when you're a bigger company and you have, you know, many motions, you have an account management team, you have different segments for business units, et cetera. Um, getting those people up to speed and understanding why it's so important that you have this launch and who it's for um, really is going to pay off in terms of when you actually go to market and then you have an ask of, hey, guys, can you share this? Hey, can you talk about this with your customers? Hey, here's the messaging. Can you stay on book? Um, you know, for most launches, especially as as we as we grew at Drift, it was like it was more important to a- enable the rest of the team around us than just to you know write the blog post or update the help doc or send the email. Um, it was more the strategy behind it, making sure people outside of the marketing team were armed and ready to go. So it can be very very time consuming. Like it's not just like oh you get up in front of your company and you give them a inspiring speech. Like yeah sure that's part of like the the process of internal marketing, but it's also like every Slack conversation, every email, you know, it's, it's going back and forth with like, you know, the account management team lead and, and making sure that, you know, they, they really, you know, understand why this is so important. And then going one-to-one sharing positioning. And like, as much as I could, I would spend time going one-to-one with the account management team. If I knew like the launch was really designed around their customers, I needed them, their help to get this integration, you know, set up for their customers because it was going to help us, you know, retain the customers. Um, so I would try to go one-to-one and talk about the position with them. I'd ask for their feedback. I'd get them bought in early with what we were trying to do so that they were excited and they knew when we had the solution, oh, I know exactly why we're doing that because it's going to help me with X, Y, and Z, right? Like if they, if they know that and, they're, and, and then when you go to market, they're going to be much more um, eager to, to, to play a role in the launch and actually make the thing happen. So it's not also like internal marketing isn't also like just go really wide and make everyone in your company excited, right? I, I know I said, you know, 67 versus seven people, but um, sometimes it is. Sometimes when you have a big, you know, splashy thing, you want to get everybody involved and talk about it. Sometimes it's like just spending a lot of time going deep with specific teams and making sure that they, you know, know why it's going to help them um, understand, you know, like I said, how it's going to make them more money or keep customers or get promoted or whatever. Like under kind of give put it in those terms for them sort of uh, and, and make them feel really excited about it so that that when you do have that launch, it can be successful because, you know, you can send all the emails, do all the Facebook retargeting, do all that stuff you want. But like if you get the if you have a team internally, and this is for obviously a certain type of of of, uh, of marketer when they have a bigger team around them, if you get the team excited and you know you know it's going to help them, sorry, it's going to help you guys achieve it. Like it's it, you can't compare an email to a Facebook ad to getting that AM that's like going to go on the phone and talk about it, and then you're going to listen to them on Gong for weeks and be like, man, they really nailed that, you mm-hmm. know, and they're telling all their customers, getting all of them set up. Like it just it makes it just it, it makes more sense to, to prioritize that than some of the other stuff. Plus, it's so much easier to do like write the email and the Facebook ads stuff like that. That's the launch stuff like anyone can do and just set up. But like if you really want to, like you really want to launch something, make it work. Not just you know have the short term. Oh, we cut you know a hundred people or a thousand people on our website, a thousand more than we normally get. Like that's not really going to prove anything. If you really want to solve that company strategic goal, then you need to like work closely with the whoever the stakeholders are that are going to help you achieve yeah. that. Yeah. And I like to think of it sort of as like, you know, the marketing team is, is seven at Privy, right? But with, you're trying to get more and more people sort of bought in as like your own kind of uh, like marketing squad, right? Mm-hmm. Or sort of like auxiliary unit, right? Of the marketing team isn't seven, yeah. you know, it's, it's 40, right? Of people who are really bought into mm-hmm. sharing the message, understanding the positioning, sharing on social media, um, who, who are mm-hmm. in there sort of educating themselves on here's how we talk about it, here, here's how this is useful. And then at that point, right, the marketing mm-hmm. team isn't just seven. It's actually much larger in the ways that you are sort mm-hmm. of 
syndicating your marketing out for others to to uh, to market the products how they're supposed to, right? And that way you're also mm-hmm. much more unified. You have a, a singular sort of uh, vision and, and message together. And I'm curious, actually, your thoughts on challenges in marketing a multi-product suite. I think Privy is technically three products. Is that right? Like, have there mm-hmm. been any challenges with yep. um, how to tell that story and which to focus on and how the product marketing um, gets split between them? Yeah, I think... The multi-product stage of, of growth is is um, is challenging because you know especially when you've built up reputation for one product and you sort of have, every company has like that one flagship product and then you start building out your suite of other pro- Adobe with Photoshop and then a million other products right um, it's tough to get people to think bigger than just that one product because they know you for that one thing um, and so uh, it's also tough I think because when you like at Drift, we had uh, Drift Chat, and that was a very popular product. That's what you know, ninety-five percent of people knew us for, and probably I don't know, a huge percentage of our revenue was coming from. But then we introduced something like Drift Video, and like suddenly you have like a very small, immature product, and then you have like a growth stage, you know, product that's ready to scale, and 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 so like the team is mix mix matched a little bit, where it's like you're trying to do like the small startup, early stage startup thing with one of these products, and then you have another product, and it's like mature, and it's a different you know personality that is going to work and, and be really good at that product marketing than someone that's really good at the early stage kind of stuff. So that stuff can be can be definitely challenging. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that we've done um, at Privy is just have a good strategic narrative, which is like, what is our company's mission? Um, and what are we trying to do? And it's not something necessarily that we're like going out there, like we don't, we, haven't, we don't have it published anywhere, but it's just, here's what we're trying to do. And here's how sort of our products tie into that. Um, and then, like you know, we, we have outputs like product pages and the homepage, and it tells that story. It's much more clear because we have here's our strategic narrative, here's what we're trying to do, um, and then you know here's then we have all these assets that are customer externally facing, you know, product pages and decks and webinars and tweets and whatever um, that kind of try to tell that story better. But it is challenging. It's definitely challenging when you're just at different stages. At previous, a little bit easier because we actually have a very popular. Um, tool Privy Convert, which is sort of our flag, it is our flagship product. And then Privy Email has grown really rapidly um, just by good product market fit, just by we're in that ecosystem and people are looking for email. And so they're not too far off from a maturity standpoint. Um, and so it, it actually hasn't been as challenging, but definitely a drift when we had like a big, huge product and then we had a little baby new product, like just just the personalities and the, and the type of work you got to do is so different. So it's kind of challenging to be very jarring, especially in product. Marketing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's a good point. I never really thought about how, um, depending on sort of the, the product maturity, you know, it beckons different marketing strategies and sort of how you approach even the launch of it, right? If it's, uh, if it's for someone different or if it's just, uh, you know, if it needs more guerrilla marketing or if you just need to sort of get it out there and start scaling it up and getting a lot of eyeballs on it. Right. Um, so that, that can definitely change mm-hmm. things. Um, I'm also curious about. So from the uh, directly from the product marketing or from the product launch masterclass landing page is uh, you have your six product launches secrets that you'd never give away for free. But I'm going to ask you if, if there are any that you can give away for free for the listeners. And then of course they can get it within the course. But what are sort of the secrets that maybe some people would not know, but that are key to, uh, to how to think about a product launch and it being successful? Yeah, I'll, I'll give away what I think is 
the best one, and I just experienced this again recently. Um, I think it's the first one I listened there. I forget the order, but um, pre-announce your launch, right? So like if, if you can if you can sort of extend that hype, um, and you can kind of pre-announce something and build up momentum, all the great launches that like anyone would you know cite today, that anyone would say, hey, these are great launches, they all had pre-announcements, mm-hmm. right? Hey.com, uh, you had a waiting list. Um, Superhuman, another example. And then, like, we just did this with the Privy book. We announced it in late August. Hey, we're announcing the book. Uh, it, this is what it is. Here's the, you know, here's the cover. Here's the title. Here's the people that are in it. Here's, you know, a little bit behind the scenes. Here's, you know, uh, so, some quotes, some social proof. And then, hey, if you if you were, were this comes out October 6th, if you want it, put in your email, and we'll let you know when it's available. And we built, like, 2,500 people. I think we had 25 people sign up for the wait list. So now we got the launch day. We actually have something to sell. We actually have something, you know, um, you know, to go out there and hey, this is this is live. You can go order this now. Here, here you go. We had 2,500 people that already raised their hands. Said, "Great, I'm ready." You know, and, and and we were able to email them, and that was a big part of why we were able to get people to buy right away because people had already said, "This is what I'm interested." Um, and so, I, I it you know it works in different ways, but you know I I would say that playbook is pretty good for for most launches. You can pre-announce something. I've done it before. Did a little bit of drift. Sometimes you can be mysterious about it. You know, it's kind of like oh, stealth mode something, and and you know whatever. The way Hey did it was really good, which is like they really just focus on Hey, this is the problem with email. And I mean, they're amazing marketers. They did they write they have I don't know who writes their copy, but it's great. They told this really great story about email, and everyone and it kind of tugged at your heartstrings, like you kind of understood it, right? And it was applicable to almost everybody. And so you're like, okay, this is interesting. I, I'm just curious, what, what is this going to be, you know, when this comes out in six weeks, and they actually tell me what the solution is? So they just focus 100% on the problem that they were trying to solve, and just told a really compelling story. And it's like, all right, give us your email, we'll let you know when it's available or or when the waitlist starts. Mm-hmm. So like that's that's another, I think, another good example of like you could just set up the problem that you're trying to to solve. Um, tell a really compelling story and say, hey, we're announcing something in two weeks or a month or whatever. You know, just drop your email and we'll let you know um, when, when to come back. It's just a good way of building up that hype um, because you will remember it more because, like, it's it's a tease. You don't know exactly what it is. You don't know the solution, right? Okay, I'm going to come back in six weeks and you're going to maybe think about it a little bit. And then when you do get that announcement, oh, it's available. Here's what it is. You're like, okay, definitely want to click and, and check that thing yeah. out. Yeah, something I think a lot of people forget about because, um, I think it's actually, like I said, the, the pre-announcement, it's sort of the, um, the teasers and sort of the sneak behind the scenes that also helps people feel more excited the day of the launch, right? And you think about examples yes. like, you know, Apple every year with, you know, they, you sort of know like, okay, second week of September, they're going to announce, you know, something or going to show the new iPhone or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they set the date about a month before. And then by the time that the iPhone actually comes, even though you don't even want to be, you're just like, okay, it's finally here. Like I just need to see it already. Yeah. Um, same thing with, uh, you know, I was actually talking with Rand Fishkin recording another episode earlier. And uh, he nice. had basically been in this sort of pre-launch phase for two years and it built up about 20,000 people to the SparkToro wait list. And a lot of people I think would, would say like, oh, you know, we don't want to announce it too early or we're, building in stealth or we don't want people to get excited, but then like get discouraged. But I think it's actually the opposite of when you can, uh, I mean, if you can sort of announce it as early as possible, then you have more time to build excitement and you get people more invested over time to make it even more successful later on when you finally do launch. Yeah. And I think another, another tactic, it's actually the, 
don't know, maybe it's the third or fourth in, in that secrets uh, video, is um, you can start building an audience around your launch. Now, I talked about pre-announcing. That's kind of building an audience. But you can also start building an audience on stuff like social media just by talking about the problem, right? Like, if you're going through the process of building the solution, like, you're talking to people that have the problem, you're, you know, um, you're interviewing, you're researching. Like, I did this with, um, with my course, the product launch course, was I started talking about product launches. Like, if you were to look at all my content on LinkedIn, and you look at it by topic, like it spiked about two months before the course came out because I was like, oh, I gotta like I gotta prime it. I gotta get ready for you know to, when I do have this announcement. Like people know, all right, Dan talks about product launches. He shares a lot of insights, and so I was doing launches over the summer at Privy, and so I was documenting a lot of that, right? Gary V. Document don't create, and I was doing a lot of that and sharing it on LinkedIn and on Twitter and other places and talking about you know um, product launches, best practices, problems, excite you know some of the stuff you've 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 reference today on, on this episode um, and that was helping me build up that audience and build attention I mean I think I, I I just purposely started building more of an audience on LinkedIn this year and I think I've doubled it from like or two three thousand to six thousand or seven thousand or something like that right over the course of, of this year and a lot of that was like all right I want to be Dan product marketing product launches and then I had a course at the end of August and so it was just perfect it was ready people knew that's what I talk about that's what I know about and so when I have a course that's available, okay, Dan's that guy. I, I'm going to go check this out. Yeah. So, yeah, another good tactic. Yeah. So, so walk me through what it, what it was like launching the product launch masterclass because I'm sure I'm sure there's sort of a inception moment of you're like, wait, I have to launch the thing about launching, and so there's obviously a lot of pressure, <laughs> right, to be able to do things right and follow yeah. your own instructions. And um, but just I'm also just curious, sort of on a on a personal level, like what was it like launching the course, and were there was there anything surprising about it or um, maybe challenging that you didn't expect about it? Yeah. Um, I, I actually didn't feel a ton of that pressure to be like, the launch has to be as good as, yeah, like I, I, I have to like, I have to prove myself by launching it the right way <laughs> and then people will get, like I actually didn't, maybe I had that thought a little bit, but I didn't really necessarily feel that pain or, or that concern. Um, I did pre-announce it, but I pre-announced it like the week before and be like hey next week i'm launching this here's you know sign up let me know if you want it and you know kind of put it together um the biggest thing was just like i have my framework and i kind of like had it had it documented this was me like formalizing it like formalizing the the framework into like chapters and, and descriptions and stuff like that um i think it was it was somewhat time consuming like to to go through that it took me about i think i had the idea about six to eight weeks beforehand started talking about it on linkedin like product launches and then started working on all the content so the content wasn't really the challenging part um figuring out like how to put, like what to use and like how to put it together that was a lot of fun like i, I built it on click funnels i used stripe for my payments um like 95 percent of the other internet <laughs> Um, and, um, you know, I had MailChimp for email, I think, and a couple other things. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so that stuff was fun. I think, it, like, coming down to the wire, and, like, the biggest thing was, like, I had to set deadlines for myself. I had to say, all right, I'm going to do all the recording by August 3rd. I'm going to do the site by August 15th. I'm gonna, like, I had to give myself a checklist and say, these are the dates I need to set for myself um, just so I'm, I know I'm on schedule so I can actually go and do this launch. Um, that was actually the week before I left for vacation. Um, and so I was like, all right, I can do it before then. I, I get it all done. I'll go on vacation. I'll be happy and I don't have to worry about this. Um, and so I think it was, it, setting dates was like probably like the, the secret 
thing that helped me get it done. Um, and then also like letting go a little bit like, all right, every recording is gonna be perfect. Like I know there's a siren in the background of, you know, one of the recordings, like I'm not gonna say everything perfectly, just like today in this episode, I'm not gonna say everything exactly the way I have it, you know, in my head. Um, but that's okay. And, and people want to hear from people and that it doesn't have to be perfect. I don't want to read off a script, you know? And so, but I think like the actual content creation, I thought that'd be the most challenging part. It wasn't, I just had all of this in my head. I knew what it was. Um, putting together the systems was really fun. I think it's just about like setting, like if, if you're thinking about doing a course, which, you know, it seems like it's becoming much more common. I recommend it if you have an expertise, if, you know, if you're listening and you have an expertise in something and you want to make a course, do it. Um, set deadlines for yourself though. Set a deadline, break down what you need to do to, to make it happen. And then, um, you know, write it all down on a piece of paper or whatever it is, however you organize your life and, and follow that because that's how you're actually going to get it done and get it live. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent for dates and, and deadlines. And especially if you really want to put a fire under your butt, even setting public deadlines on social media or through, through to your email list in that way, uh, people can hold you accountable or you yeah. feel that pressure a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. I want to talk about, uh, switch gears a little bit, talking about um, sort of your career a little bit. And you've actually, you haven't talked about it very much elsewhere, but you almost made the switch from software and tech to the world of politics. Um, what's the story behind that? Yeah. Um, I think I would say, so yeah, so last year, the story is last year, um, I was uh, working on a political campaign and the candidate asked me to consider leaving my job and going and uh, working, running his campaign as a campaign manager full-time. This is a congressional campaign here in Massachusetts. Um, awesome opportunity. Like, I, I've been working behind the scenes. We had been connected a couple of years ago, and I had helped build his website and his launch when he launched last year. Just a couple of things working with him. And then, um, yeah, and so I... I uh, I was very interested in, I'm, I've always been very interested in politics. I've, um, you know, that's, if I'm not listening to a marketing podcast, it's something to do with politics. And I also just felt like I felt a lot of the burnout of going through, like scaling a hyper growth company, like just going through the motions of, you know, when I joined Drift, it was about five or six people on the marketing team. When I left, it was like, I don't know, 30 or 35, something like that. The company had grown from 70, 60, 70 people to 400 something people in the course of two and a half years. And so, um, it was just, you know, just a lot of change and a lot of things going on. And, and, uh, and I was just interested in doing something that wasn't helping a SaaS company grow, you know, like thinking like, well, like this is good. I, I like doing this stuff, but you know, can I do something maybe more meaningful or, or more impactful, especially in today's, you know, political climate and everything that's going on in, in this world. This is, this is actually before 2020. So <laughs> it's even, it's even, if it's even more, you know, it's different than it is now, but um, yeah, so I, I, I considered it and I was very serious and I thought I was going to do it. Um, and then a couple months later, you know, this opportunity, uh, you know, came uh, kind of out of nowhere. I was like, oh, I go work with, you know, Dave again at, at Privy. And, and this is kind of interesting e-commerce and it's different and, and smaller. It's like what we where we started at Drift. And so I was just super interested in that. And um, and it just worked out the way it should. But But ultimately, I decided not to do it. But I kind of felt that, like, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, like, you, if you're listening to this, you most likely work in tech. Um, I'm sure many of you are in marketing, and, and you know, like, if, if you've been in this, you know, career path for a while, and, you, and you've gone through, you know, the ups and downs of a company that's growing really fast, it can be exhausting. You can get burnt out, and I just, I was burnt out, and I was ready for something different. 
and so um, didn't work out. It was it was the right decision? I'm 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 kind of back into this marketing mindset now. I love what I do. I'm, I'm obviously making courses about marketing, so I'm clearly mm-hmm. kind of fully back into it. But um, it was a really interesting opportunity. I stayed on as an advisor. I've been part of the campaign. Um, and he's in good shape to, to win and actually go to Congress, which is fantastic. And it all worked out for the best. He hired an excellent campaign manager who's been in politics. Um, but the interesting thing there was like, I thought I, I was a little bit naive and I was like, oh, I could be you know the startup marketing guy and come into politics and run things a little bit different and you know, you know, know, take this approach that's you know a, a, basically a startup marketing for a SaaS company. Can I approach that with a political campaign? That was like my, oh, this would be so interesting. I don't think it would have worked out if I really? had, you know, I don't think I would have been the right person. No, I, I don't think I would have. So it, it worked out, I think, the, the way it mm. should have. What, what are the key differences there? Because uh, as someone who has really no idea what goes into a political campaign, especially, you know, what the difference is between marketing uh, a political candidate versus, you know, a software product. Obviously, there are huge differences there, but I couldn't tell you maybe what the first one was from your eyes and now having the hindsight of, being an advisor, like, why wouldn't the playbook have worked? And like, what's so different about politics than software? Yeah, so I, I think one of the key differences is in like, in politics, you wanna like, almost say less <laughs> than, than more, whereas like, like, as a software company, you wanna talk more, like, so products, right? One product is a candidate, it's a human being, it's a person, another is a software product, right? A software product, you want to talk about as many angles of that product as possible. You want to talk about every f- feature, if, if, or you want to try talking about every feature. Then maybe you pick on, okay, here's a couple of different things that really matter. With a political campaign, with the product of being a candidate, a person, you want to be selective about which parts you talk about. You want to be careful. You Most times you want to, you know, basically um, just pick the most, the, 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 the safest bets of what to talk about and go after and talk about them again and again. Oh, this person has military experience. Oh, this person, you know, ran a college or institution. Oh, this person worked at this company and helped grow it and create, you know, 20,000 jobs, whatever. Like you want to stay focused on those things. So there is a, a actually a, a, a pretty big difference there just from a communication and like talking about your product as a product marketer. That's a lot different than, than when I was used to. Um, let's see other things that were really different. Uh, another one is is um, is feedback and data, right? Like about the product, you don't really get much feedback and data about a political candidate until you do a poll. And usually polls don't happen. So like in a primary race, like um, uh, in this case, it was October to September. You know, the, it's a democratically held state. So the Democrat he won the Democratic nomination in September. He's in good shape to you know hopefully win in November. Uh, he is a Republican candidate that he's running against, but you don't really do polling until it gets closer to the actual election. So the election in September, basically for months and months, it was like, you don't, you don't do the poll. You don't get any data about from your customers, from people that are going to vote from you, um, about the candidate, what you like, what you don't like. So you're kind of operating in the dark and you're just kind of trying to figure that things out. Whereas with a, a startup or, or in, in software, it's like you have every data point you could ever imagine. Just go to Google Analytics and you get you tons of information, right? Just for free for doing nothing. And then we, of course, add on more and more data. So it is a lot different um, in terms of just like the products and like how you're going to market them. So, um, you know, political campaigns are very disciplined, whereas like marketing teams, especially startup teams are very, you know, kind of, I think, uh, I would say discipline, but also like there's a lot of versatility. You got to try a bunch of things and just go, 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 go. And it's like, you just can't do that on a political campaign. So um, there are a lot of pretty striking differences between between the two, for sure. Fascinating. When you look back on sort of the arc of your career, you know, you spent time um, with the Sports Talk Productions. You've also worked at uh, HubSpot. You've worked at various, you know, number of portfolio companies and startups. 
Drift, now Privy. What do you feel like is sort of the thread that ties everything together? For me personally, yeah. like like my, that's a good one. Um, I would tie it back to probably what we talked about at the beginning of just sort of chasing that feeling of like, I love coming up with a plan, having that goal, and then just chasing it, you know? And, and it's not, and with marketing, it's not always you get exactly what you're planning on getting, and often it's not. But um, I definitely love chasing after, you know, whatever it is that that plan had of, you know, we're going to we're going to sell a thousand copies of the book this month. Great. We did it. That feels amazing. Right. The same thing is true for, you know, we're going to move. We're going to grow our viewership of our TV show, 100 viewers, you know, uh, over the course of this month. And, and so definitely, I think, chasing that feeling, I think. Um, it's really fun for me, and, and this is sort of, I think, just built into maybe family values, given my, my family is a bunch of journalists, um, of just investigating and, and understanding and researching and really getting to the heart of the matter, the core issue, the truth, mm-hmm. right? Um, and in product marketing, you get to do that. You really get to dig deep on what is the truth behind why a customer selected this product, especially in MarTech, which has been the last, or three of the last four startups, in MarTech, where there's 5,000 or 10,000 or 20,000, I don't even know how many vendors there are in MarTech anymore. I don't even know if anyone can actually count that too, realistically, too many. But like, and you know this too from you know, Bear Metrics, like when you can really get deep in on um, you know, the truth of why customers love your product or why they're attracted to your brand or you know, what they're using in your product, your features. I mean, that's a really satisfying thing when you can uncover that and go deep on it. So I think, and that's, that's probably more of like my product marketing experience, what I've been drawn to and what I love about it. But um, yeah, I think that's another one. Just digging for that truth and trying to find it has been a really fun you know, thing to chase in, a, in, in my mm-hmm. career. Is there anything that you've changed your mind on uh, where maybe previously you would have sort of been in one camp and now you're in another camp or uh, you've, I don't know, basically kind of flipped the script of how you think about something? Um, But I'm curious if there's anything top of mind for you of like, yeah, I used to think this and now I think Mm -hmm. this other way. (laughs) Oh, I mean, there's hundreds of those probably. I mean, there's similar, we were talking about before, where I was like, I can make a list of a dozen different things. Like this is another one where I could probably make a list of a dozen different things or dozens. Um, I, I definitely, as a intern and, and early graduate of college of working at HubSpot, thought inbound marketing, inbound marketing, inbound marketing, it has to be inbound. And then when I got to my first startup, we're like, oh, we're gonna go rent this list. And I was like, <gasps> you know, like we can't rent a list. That's terrible. How would we do that? It's like, no, that's how the world works. And you know, HubSpot since changed their approach and they obviously think about, um, you know, they, they think about uh, things outside of inbound marketing. So I think, you know, there's definitely examples like that where it's like, wait a minute, no, there's other ways of going about this. Um, there's also some, you know, some some probably philosophies on hiring or, um, you know, I've talked about attribution before or stuff like that. Like, you know, I think for a little while at Drift, we were like, oh, we don't have to worry about attribution. We can get a feel for it from the brand and from, you know, these other things. And like, now we're here at Privy and we're talking about doing brand awareness surveys. And it's like, there's like, there's like a growing up level of like, not necessarily changing my mm-hmm. mind. I'm like, oh, I felt this way now that way but somewhat more of like, just like, oh, you know, now it's like, now we should be spending more time on this and it's a different, you know, business problem. So now it's worth kind of investing in brand awareness surveys and stuff like that. So definitely I've, I mean, again, I think I could write a, you know, a notebook full of things I've changed my mind. And I also think like, 
um, that's a really good sign of, of uh, I'm not going to try to say that makes me a great marketing leader, but I think that's what makes good marketing leaders great. Like Dave does this all the time, and this is probably why I've adopted this mentality of like, he can be proven wrong. You can prove him wrong very, you know, if, if, if um, I'm not going to say very easily, because it's not <laughs> like he's always wrong, but you can prove him wrong, and he's accepting of being proven wrong, and he'll go the other path. He'll swim the other direction. You know, if, if you say, no, it's, it's that way, like he will do that, and he'll get the whole team swimming in that direction too. It's not like he'll get stubborn um, and then get entrenched in one perspective and say that has to be it this is the truth right if you can prove it another way you know that's that's a, that's a good sign of a good marketing leader when they can change direction and say you know what i was wrong with that let's try this this mm, other way yeah that's a good one before we wrap up um i'd like to do something fun and kind of take a peek into your swipe file uh so i asked you to prepare mm -hmm. a couple in advance um i have them here in front of me but you listed a couple and you feel free to add a few more if you want to but i wanted to cover um the ClickFunnels cancellation workflow, uh, an, invent, an event invite email from Gong, and then how Canva uses templates for lead gen. So we can just pick each one of those apart, but I'm curious, maybe we can start with ClickFunnels. Like why do you choose uh, the ClickFunnels cancellation workflow to, to put in your swipe file? Yeah, so um, ClickFunnels, if you're listening, I was just testing it. I'm not trying to <laughs> cancel. Um, I'm a customer of theirs. I'm not, I'm not canceling, not, not Don't worry, right Russell. now anyways. Um, yeah, don't worry, Russell, you're good. I'm sure he's listening. Um, so, uh, no, no, so I, I was just going through it. I like it because, I was testing it because I was looking at our own cancellation process and trying to understand, like, you know, what is the what is best in class for trying to save someone when you don't have a human that you can call them or, you know, say, hey, email this person. Um, so uh, what they do is um, you can go, you can cancel. It's not, like, buried or anything. It's, it's pretty straightforward where it is. Um, when you go though, it asks you first for a survey. It has a, so it has a video actually from Russell, of course, you know, he's, he's the, the figurehead over there. And he basically saying, he's not even saying any email cancellation. He's just saying, you know, okay, great. Like, you know, what really would help us right here is feedback, right? It's, feedback helps us, you know, operate, helps us get better. It's the whole video is just about like, we need your feedback. The whole idea is to convince them to actually hit the survey because they, they can't cancel yet. It's not like one of those things where you can like exit out of it. I think it's like the full page and it's like, all right, just tell us, you know, what is the issue? And there's maybe like seven or eight different options. And then based on that option, it'll bring you to the next page and it'll say, oh, okay. And then basically the headline and the content of that page is all built around that issue. So for instance, like, um, you know, I'm having trouble growing sales for my business or I'm having trouble selling. And the video is like, oh, hey, here's three things you can do in ClickFunnels to grow traffic or sell more, whatever. It has a little bit of information. It's not, you know, ClickFunnels is known for really long landing pages. It's not terribly long, but it does, you know, go down a little bit. And then if you decide you cancel, you can cancel and go forward from there. But it has a, a page, I think it's probably, eight, like I said, seven or eight different pages for each one of these reasons. And it makes a, a really good pitch. And it's really simple. It's just a video. It's a person. It's like the video is not high res. It's not like they hired a production company it's literally probably just shot on his iPhone he's like hey I just want to say understand but look if you want to cancel that's fine just let us know what the, you know give us some feedback so we can get better and then it has like a breakdown of each one of those so I thought that was just mm -hmm. a really good simple way I have no idea how it performs but I like the process and I'm, again I'm a customer and going through it and I understand it before I go give me some give me some help um, uh, maybe change my mind by, by giving me the, the content or the training. They offer other things like, you know, here, get a free demo or one free training, you know, credit versus, you know, churn. They'd actually be willing to spend someone's time to prevent you from churning. Mm -hmm. So um, there, there, there's some really cool That's an interesting there. one. Uh, the reason why that one stuck out to me was, uh, you know, talk about being sort of cross-functional and marketing bleeding into other, you know, you're actually looking at the mm -hmm. cancellation flow for Privia as a part of your job as the product marketer uh, and, 
that's something yep. that's top of mind for you that again i think most people would think yeah. like oh well churn that's a customer success thing or no it's also a, a marketing mm -hmm. it's also a product marketing thing well yeah i think that fits into that idea of like unconventional product marketing of like go listen to all these calls go set yourself up on the product yourself and build your own little business with it go through the product and go through the experience of it churning trial upgrading billing all these things like and and then share that with the team like maybe you're not the one that's going to fix it but you could at least go through it and probably like it's a lot of the times with, with marketing it's right under our noses right it's like oh it's right there like if we just we look at the data all the time we're looking at you know spreadsheets and we figure out what cohort churns more than others it's like has anyone actually just gone through the cancellation process in the last couple months and just seen what that looks like or in the past year and seen what that looks like maybe there's something there that we can fix right and so there's there's tons of examples of that kind of stuff and yeah that's not necessarily traditionally a product marketing role but i think that's also the way of sort of like it kind of fits in that mode of that attitude of like listening 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 it's like going on the other side and seeing it from their point of view that's just going to make you a you know smarter marketer yeah. okay so tell me about number two this event e this event invite email from gong yeah it's funny because I think that example I know is on swipe files yeah. um, I, I saw it on there the other day I think everybody thought it was great um, I don't I don't have it immediately in front of me I don't remember all of the things that were in it but it's basically the, the whole premise is like gong is really really good at making their emails feel like it's just like someone on their team knows you and is emailing you directly. They're not sending this as a mass email. They're not emailing this to everybody. They're sending you, you, this note, and 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 you know this is what they have. And I think they use like a personalization token. So like the first name was like really nicely put in the subject line and in the body. So it really just felt like it was a personal note. And it was an invite to I think it was celebrate, right? It was to their yeah. their um, their yearly event, or they might be doing it a couple times a year now. And it was just a really good example. It was not, there was no HTML template. There was no like pretty design. It was just a plain text email that really stood out. And again, they're really good at this. They've been good at this for a while. I've, I've been getting their emails for a while. It's something we've we've definitely tried at Privy and Drift. And I think we've done fairly well at, but this one was just stood out. And I know like tons of people had screenshot me like, this is the best email ever. And of course it's on it's on swipe files as well. It's just a really good example of, uh, of a personal right. email and an invite. Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly sort of why I swiped it was I was, you know, my goal at Swipe Files is to build a library of resources that not only shows you sort of what you're looking for, but maybe also shows you what you aren't looking for and shows you a new way of doing it. And a, an event invite email is one of those things where you're just like, oh, what, what should this look like? Oh, it's probably going to be like a really pretty HTML, CSS uh, thing with, you know, animations. And you sort of, and it was like, no, this literally, I, I had a hard time figuring out like, if it was automated or if it was kind of blasted out to everyone or if it was just to that one person. Because like you said, that was the approach that they wanted to take. And um, in a world where everyone is doing the pretty HTML, CSS emails, the sort of one-to-one -one approach can yep. be what stands out um, and really helps you kind of challenge your thinking. It's a good reminder too, like copy converts, right? Like really good copy, like design, especially nowadays, I have superhuman and I'm just going check, 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 check for every email that I get for the most part, especially the marketing ones. And especially when I see it some design and it, and it looks pretty, right? Copies what that email stood out to me. Yeah. I, I, you know, obviously I screenshot it and saved it, but also like it stood out to me like, oh, is he talking to me? Oh, he, he meant, oh, it, okay. Like I was kind of like, okay, now I'm actually paying attention to what the invite is and what, what. Copy converts, it's not design. And I think, you know, um, marketers often spend way more time on the design and getting that to look good and is it on brand and has the right colors 
I would spend more time on the words because that's what's actually going to get get someone to convert. Boom. There we have it. Number three, how Canva uses templates for yeah. lead gen. Could you explain that one a little bit? Because that one's the, and if you could kind of walk through, like, uh, help, the re, help the listeners kind of uh, visualize it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm actually looking at uh, Canva right now. So I have my computer open. I wanted to be able to like talk this through. So if you, first of all, if you were to, I just did not know this, but I Googled blog header, um, I think I hit blog header templates, right, on, on Google. The first result, the first organic result that shows up is Canva because they built just an army of templates. Um, it's kind of like the same way that, um, Zapier put up all those integration pages. Like they built, like they built a, I don't know, they're a $50 million business or whatever they are. Maybe they're more. Um, and they basically built every single landing page for every integration you could ever want to set up. Because that's basically, they're the backup for any integration. If there's not a native integration, maybe Zapier can do it. So Slack to Google Sheets, right? That's, that's obviously a much more common one, but Slack to Google Sheets or um, HubSpot to Salesforce. I mean, they, they do it. Metrics to Privy, I don't know, whatever, right? right? Every single integration that you could potentially want, they built out a landing page so that if anyone's ever Googling that, they're gonna be the first result. Canva has basically done the same. Actually, that's I'm giving you actually a twofer. That's one <laughs> one in my swipe file. That, that one's a little older, Zapier, and how they did that. There's a great story. Um, if you just Google like uh, how Zapier built, I think it's like a $20 million business. That's like the title of the blog, right. and it's like this really deep, you know, into how they did it with all these integrations. So that's an example. Canva's done something very similar. If you go to Canva's website, the first tab is templates. And if you open it up, there's social media, personal, business, marketing, education, trending, and then there's like five or 10 items, not 10, there's seven items under each one of those categories, right? They've built a huge, huge library of templates. And I actually haven't done it. Um, someone screenshot and sent it to me. I haven't actually gone through the whole flow, but you can basically go into these templates. You can open one of them. And then you can just sign up for a trial. Like, oh, you want to use this? Great. Oh, you can just use it right in Canva. You don't have to download it to Photoshop or open up in Figma or anything else. Just set it up in Canva and it's easy drag and drop. And suddenly, basically anyone, you don't have to have a design or a creative bone in your body. You can just set up a, a template and you can have it and you can you know, share it and do whatever you want to do with it, right? You can put it on your blog or whatever. So um, they've done a really, like it's, yeah, here's the button. Use this template and it's going to open up. All right, great. I might already have an account. So I think it'll just log me right into my account. Yep, that's exactly what it did. Um, and it might even do this where it actually lets you go right in and start designing without creating an account. Mm. And then when you want to export it, then you create the account. But think about that from a lead gen perspective. I'm way more likely to sign up for Canva and use it if it's like, all right, I actually have the exact design I wanted. I already did all the design work that I want to do. Um, and all right, now I just to export. Okay, yeah, I'll give you my email address and I'll create an account. I'll probably come back again next time I need you know, another blog header or I need a, you know, a podcast graphic or whatever it is that I'm gonna do. Um, they've done a, a really great job with, with setting that up and actually you know, growing their, their trialers or their free, I think they have a free and a trial. Yeah. Um, growing their you know their lead their demand gen just by by using yeah templates. I mean they they basically took the product and then brought it out into the marketing site essentially of like you know they just give you a little exactly. bit of teaser uh, tell you that you can get started they basically bring you into the product without you even knowing it and then like you said once you want to mm -hmm. download or uh, you know tweak something and then it sort of triggers like the oh like create an account for this and you've already invested so much time mm -hmm. and you already know that it's right there in front of you that you. You might as well, right? Like, why would you back out at that point? They also have really good upgrade levers. Like, they're a you know product-led growth model. They're probably one of the most famous ones right now. Um, if you like hit upgrade to Canva Pro, they have a really good like compelling list of why you would upgrade. 
I want to say at some point, I, I would have to, I don't know if I put this one in my swipe file, but I think they did a comparison between the two. Um, another good example of like comparing and upselling like different plans was ClickFunnels. I know I screenshot that one. Like they have like a ClickFunnels regular and then a ClickFunnels premium or whatever it is they call it. And one's a $100 plan, one's a 300 mm-hmm. And the way they just, again, simple, simple, simple. They really got to know their customers. They really understood why someone would pick one or the other. Um, it wasn't just all visuals. It wasn't just all marketing. They wrote some really compelling reasons why you would upgrade and go with the premium version. I went up to premium. I was spending $300 a month at one point for ClickFunnels, and this is just for my side business. And I was like, ah, I actually don't need that. And I decided I only needed the $100 one. But um, they are really good at like, this is again, like when you talk when I talk about unconventional product marketing, listening, getting close to that customer, it's those types of activities. It's the listening to gong calls while you're working out, you know, while you're driving a golf, whatever that like when you sit down to write those upgrade modals or you're writing your cancellation, you know, modal and, and trying to save someone, it's that's when it really comes out is because you actually really understand what they're trying to do and you understand that customer on intimate yeah. level. To wrap up here, I'm gonna ask my, what I call my guy Raz question. And uh, so for all the things that you've shared and the audience you've grown, the success on the 60, possibly even 70 plus launches thus far, how much would you attribute to luck and how much would you attribute to hard work and your own skill? Oh, that's a good one. I've never been asked that before, um, but I have heard him ask that on his show. Um, is it usually it's a it's a percentage breakdown and it's luck versus hard, hard yeah work. just roughly you know wh- how much would you give to just kind of straight luck and things outside of control versus yeah. your own doing what is in your, in your control so i'm gonna say 76.342 <laughs> i'm just kidding no i'm gonna say no i think um i kind of want to say 50 50 i i i i was uh, I mean, there's obviously these sort of fundamental things about where we're born and what family we're born into, and is education um, uh, possible? Is you know money and 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 those things like there, there there's a lot of that. Um, I also like I I also feel like I did work really hard. Like I'm dyslexic. I have ADD. Like I, I was the kid in, in in high school when they told me to read Shakespeare or Hamlet out loud in class. I would just go red and I would just stutter through it because I couldn't read right. Um, and so like, I do feel like there's that. And then, you know, d- getting into marketing, like marketing is a, is an amazing career path because pretty much, and we're getting closer to this, anyone anywhere can kind of get into it and you can build a marketing career. We're getting closer with that with remote work. Um, and you can make of it what you want. Right. And so I do think there's a lot of it that's, uh, hard work, but I also know, and I also feel incredibly lucky for many of the things that I've, I've just, have come in my life, the people, the, the situations, um, 50% of it. So maybe it's a cop out saying 50, 50. I don't know. That feels like such a safe, <laughs> safe way of putting it, okay. but I kind of want to say 50, 50, maybe I'll give it some more thought and maybe I'll do a hot, hot take on, on Twitter in a week or so once I've, or when the episode comes out and I'll actually give an updated, uh, uh, if I change it from 50, 50, I'll, I'll give you an update. That sounds good. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Dan, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, sharing all these hot takes with us. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again to Dan for coming on and dropping that masterclass on product marketing and product launches. If you can, pop on Twitter and thank Dan for sharing everything on this episode and let him know what you thought. What I took away from the conversation was for such a small team, they are absolutely prolific. They have such specialized roles and skills that are combined and coordinated in a way that lends to their strengths. At their heart, they're content creators, and that's evident. And they've got all the right people to do that across written, audio, and video content. 
I also love how unconventional they are. Writing a book, starting a podcast, creating a merch store. They're amazing at using brand to capitalize on demand. And a lot of what Dan does can be traced back to his roots in journalism and broadcasting. So think about what you're uniquely qualified to do, given your specialized skills and experience. If you've got a question or takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast, as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swifiles.com membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.